Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. My grandfather was a civilian chemist for the Air Force, my papa, and every summer he would get a TDY assignment, temporary duty. So it would be somewhere in the United States. And from the age of about three until I was about 12, he and my grandmother would come to my house in a Ford Econoline van, looked very similar to this one, and they would pick me up and we would take off on like a two to three week road trip to wherever he was stationed. And now this was the 80s, pre-Google, pre-internet. And so one of my favorite parts of that trip is they would bring along the AAA guidebook. I don't know if any of you guys remember that, but it would be the United States and included would be popular tourist destinations and like little uh, explanations of what you could see there. And so they would hand me the book, they would tell me where we were going and they would say, where do you wanna go? What do you wanna see? And I would just get to pick it. And I can't ever remember them saying no. And I had no concept of geography, highways, north, south, Still not really a strong suit of mine. I'm more of a, you know, like, turn at the Chick-fil-A. Don't confuse me with north and east, all right? That's not how that goes. But I would say, this is where I want to go. They'd tell me yes, and they would reroute our trip. California, Wisconsin, I saw Custer's Last Stand. We went to Jesse James's hideout, the home of Laura Ingalls Wilder. Those detours, the reroutings that I requested, are some of the best memories from those trips. And I'm so grateful. And I mean, what kid wouldn't love, like, what do you wanna do? Where do you wanna go? Yes, it was amazing. But now I think about myself as an adult and those ideas of reroutings or getting off track. I myself am not quite so accommodating to those kinds of disruptions in my life. You know, from childhood, we look at kids, what do you wanna do when you grow up? Where do you wanna to go to college? Who do you wanna marry? Where do you wanna live, right? We're telling them to dream big, have these grand plans. And I think one of the biggest lies that we tell children is that you can do whatever you wanna do. You can be whoever you wanna be. And some of you are a little offended that I would say that's a lie, but let me tell you this, I, wanted to be the next Whitney Houston. You have not heard me sing. 100% guarantee I could have never been Whitney Houston, right? I just, I couldn't have done that. And so I think somewhere along the way, when we're asking kids these things and we're making these dreams and plans, we don't get to stay kids, right? The shininess of those dreams, it, fades just a little bit and reality begins to set in, you know, I'm the adult. I've grown up responsibilities. I have bills to pay. I have things to take care of and people are depending on me. And so my plans get detailed, derailed by detours, unexpected bumps along the way and things get rerouted in a way that I wasn't expecting. And somewhere along the way, people quit asking me, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? I can assure you, I do not wake up every morning or come to work every day and go, somebody asks me, what do you want to do today? Where do you want to go today? And then they get a yes. 
That's not how it goes as adults, does it? And so what I want to talk about today is this. What do we do when we don't get to do what we want to do? We're in the series of Ruth looking at the journey of her life and we've called it rerouting. Because in this story, we have an ordinary woman going through an ordinary life and it keeps getting rerouted. But it's those experiences in this journey, those unexpected twists and turns where we really get to witness the goodness of God. We get to see him use her life in extraordinary ways. And if you were here last week, Mark introduced us to Ruth in chapter one. And it started out like a tragedy. But his spoiler alert is that it ends like a Hallmark movie. So we're gonna look at the next chapter today in this very impactful story. So real quickly, I wanna just recap briefly. We opened up the book of Ruth with Naomi and her husband, her two sons. They're living in Israel, they're Israelite people, but there is a famine and people are literally dying of starvation. So they decide to pack up their two sons and they're gonna move to Moab. This, however, would have been a little bit scandalous, quite frankly, on their way out of town, they would have been receiving a lot of side-eye. And there is a reason for that. The Israelite people had been in captivity in Egypt. Moses is sent to rescue them, and so they leave Egypt and they're journeying across the desert to go to the Promised Land. That journey ends up taking 40 years, which I would say is an extreme example of rerouting. And so it's during this time, Yahweh, the one true God, has delivered them from Egypt and he comes to them and he says, you know what? I need to help you guys out to learn kind of the rules, how to obey, how to follow. And so through Moses, he gives them Mosaic laws. And it's in these laws in Deuteronomy that I think there's something interesting. It says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even in the 10th generation. For they did not come to meet you with bread or water on your way when you came out of Egypt. And they hired Balaam, son of Beor, from Pethor and Aram Naharim to pronounce a curse on you. So these were not friends. So off they go to Moab, Naomi, her husband, two sons. While they're there, the sons marry two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. And then tragedy. Her husband, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her two sons die. And Ruth and her daughter-in-laws are left alone. Naomi is now a widow. She's not going to have property of her own. She's not going to have the ability to sustain herself in finding a way to make a living. She has no prospect of remarrying due to her age. And in this time, she looks around and says, I got to go back home. And Ruth decides, I'm going to go with you. Now, I want you to understand the status of women in this time, this biblical period. Really, they were not a whole lot more than property. You're born into your father's home and you belong to him until you're of marrying age and then he is paid a bride price and you're given to your husband. So 
what I love about this story is that not only is it about women, we actually see that the book is named after Ruth. That's something of significance. In fact, when we look in scripture, there are actually only 93 women that are given words recorded. And out of those 93, we only get 49 of their actual names. It makes up about 14,000 words in all of the scripture, so it's about 1%. So I think that tells us we need to pay attention to Ruth. And now let, let me say this. I don't think that is a reflection of God's view of women. Women aren't inferior or considered less than. It's a result of the times, the context of when scripture was written, the reality of their station in life. And in fact, Jesus, our savior, we see him elevate women, praise women, heal women, teach women. So when we're looking at scripture in scenarios like this, what we're reading is descriptive. It's describing the situation and the context. It is not prescriptive of how we should treat women today. And so I was studying the story of Ruth and over and over, I just couldn't help but kind of realize, you know, she's an ordinary woman, much like I would consider myself living her life, but we get to see so much of who God is revealed in her life because of something specific. And I believe that is her humility. She displays unexpected humility. We see her make decisions that we might not really even understand, and I certainly wouldn't make myself. But those decisions along her journey in life put her in a position to experience the blessings of God. And I don't think it's a stretch to imagine that this was not how she had mapped out her life, to be a young widow, to have no family, and now to be leaving the only family and culture and land that she knew. And in spite of all that, she continues to choose to live in humility. And so what I mean today by humility, I took this definition from C.S. Lewis, and he says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You know, as fear today as a Christ follower, Every day, I should be waking up with the humility of the recognition that I, alone without Christ, I'm morally and spiritually bankrupt. I can't rescue myself. It is only because of God's act of ultimate humility by sending his son to die on the cross as our example, that I have a future at all. And out of that gratitude for what he's done for me, it should impact how I treat others, how I put their needs before my own, and I think of them more and myself a little bit less. Now, maybe you're not a Christ follower. You're kind of checking out maybe some of this Jesus thing, but you're really not on board, and that's okay today because I believe this. Humility is still a benefit to us in our lives. I mean, we know prideful people. They like to brag about themselves or tell us all about their accomplishments and they're not really that likable. They're not usually people we want to be around. And so our own mental health is actually better when we're just real 
about our abilities, about our accomplishments, about our mistakes, and we live with a sense of humility. And so I have three things I think we can learn today from this story of Ruth and her display of unexpected humility. And the first thing I think that we can see from her is that unexpected humility allows my true character to be revealed. So Ruth has made a choice to leave all she knows and go with Naomi back to Bethlehem, leaving her culture, her people, her family. And she wasn't just going where they didn't know her. She was not wanted. She was a Moabite. We read, God had actually said like, they don't get to come in. But yet she humbled herself. And in Ruth 1, when she's telling Naomi she's coming with her, Ruth says these words. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Ruth is revealing herself, her true character. She is a woman of integrity. She is a woman of devotion. She's selfless. And she didn't just say these words. She walked them out. And she went with Naomi. She followed through. She revealed that she could be someone to be trusted and depended on. She didn't become bitter when I think it probably would have been quite easy to have become so. She chose to do a really hard thing. But it was the right thing. And in my experience, and probably yours too, it turns out that the right thing is usually the hard thing. But there's a result to living like this. The person that you become, a person to be depended on, counted on, trusted. You think of others more than yourself and aren't those the kind of people you want in your life? Your sphere of influence. And I believe that most of you want to be that kind of person for the people you love in your life. Since being at LifePoint, I have come across three incredible, incredible women. We have had a lot of transition here. Recently, we've had to right-size the staff, and some paid positions had to be eliminated. But these three women, women, rather than walking away, they've chosen to stay, and they continue to humbly serve in those positions. And what I'd like for you to hear today from them is why they would make that choice. Well, when I think about it, I guess there's really three things. Um, my parents were always serving, finding ways to help their community. In fact, my grandfather was also a big uh, servant leader. So I grew up with that, um, which was wonderful. Um, secondly, as I became a Christian and read the Bible, I saw a Jesus who served, who uh, washed feet and uh, pray, prayed for the leper. And um, I don't see a Jesus of rules and regulations, but a Jesus who serves and loves. And then thirdly, I love students. I love our student ministry here. We have some of the most amazing students, and I am just so happy to be a part of the ministry. Well, there's quite a few of them, but um, I think for the most part, it's um, the love, the love of the fellowship that I get when I come and I'm surrounded by people who, um, 
people are here for the same reason I am, for the love of Christ, and they have that passion. And it's just a great feeling to do that. Another reason I do it is because it, help, it holds me accountable. I'm saying, okay, if I volunteer, I am going to be held accountable. So another reason. The best reason I would say is um, it's my faith. Um, I didn't grow up in church. Um, intimidated by the Bible. Um, sat in back of church when I started. And this has taken me out of my shell and has grown my faith to, <laughs> I can't even explain. The only reason, the, only, the best way I can explain it is it gives me that, um, that, uh, that butterfly, that spiritual tingle that I get when I volunteer. It's amazing and I, I just love it. And those are mainly the reasons that I do it. And obviously for the love of Christ, it's why I'm here and I'll continue to do it. Okay, I've, I've really enjoyed working alongside so many wonderful people here at LifePoint and getting to know them, uh, the staff, the lay leaders, the group leaders. I've got to be a part of so many ministries and it's just wonderful to be able to continue that. It's really about being a part of something that we know is making an internal impact on people. Three amazing examples of living a life of humility and we see a true character revealed. I'm very proud to call those women my friends. And now the second thing I think that we can see in the story of Ruth and what we learn about humility is that unexpected humility allows my faith in God's provision to grow. Ruth and Naomi are returning to Bethlehem and it is the beginning of barley harvest season. They're coming in in abject destitution. No husbands, no fathers no male covering of protection in their life. And I don't know if I can think of a more humbling position for them to have been in. But it's in this moment of what would feel like hopelessness that we see God step in and he provides. In verse two, Ruth comes to Naomi and she says, let me go and glean in the barley fields from the grain that has been left behind. Now, if we take a quick detour, back to the book of Deuteronomy where we're looking at those Mosaic laws. I want you to see what God has included as a means to provide for his people. In chapter 24, it says, when you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all of the work of your hands. This custom called gleaning, they were told to leave behind the grain that fell and allow those in need to come through and pick up and provide food for themselves. And you see over and over in scripture that God has plans, and especially for us, our people, to provide for those in need. We're instructed to serve the less fortunate, the underprivileged, the widows. It's so important to him. We don't just see it in Deuteronomy and these Mosaic laws. We see it again in New Testament and in the commands of Jesus. 
And now maybe you want to say, well, that's a nice little coincidence or a little happy accident. But what I believe is that we see God rerouting Ruth's journey so that she is in the right field at the right time. And his plan to provide for them, it was in place before they were ever born. I believe that's true for us as well. God tells us in scripture that he knows us in our mother's womb. He knits us together. That he knows the number of hairs on our head. And I just believe if we have a God that cares about those kinds of details, he can be trusted to provide for our needs. I married my husband, Cameron, when we were young, still in college. And so we graduated, we went into education. And so we were in our 20s. Double income, no kids, we had a good time. Traveling, eating out, sleeping in on Saturdays, right? The good life. And then we decided along our plan that we were ready to become parents. So we moved back to Odessa where my parents were in 2003 because I wanted to be near my mom. She could take care of my babies. And so we were ready to have a family. But for us... That is not how the plan went. We tried several years uh, to get pregnant. We did surgeries and we did testing and we did treatments. And one of the most frustrating pieces of that journey for me is that the doctor would come in and say, well, I don't know why you're not pregnant. And my diagnosis was unexplained infertility. I don't know what you do with that. And so um, I was frustrated. I felt a little bit like a failure. And if I'm honest, I think I felt like God was ignoring me or he had forgotten me or that he just didn't care that this was the deepest desire of my heart. And so we started looking at adopting. We looked at CPS and that was just not a road that worked out for us. We had two private adoptions that didn't work out. One fell apart the literal day before we were picked up a baby boy. And so those were painful times. And I can remember being in my bathroom and I found out Britney Spears had her second baby. And I was not amused. And I just remember thinking, she does not have her life together. I mean, you guys have seen the pictures. If she gets two babies, I just want one. And it did not feel fair. And, you know, I would kind of joke and say that to people, but I have to be honest that at some point I really did start to examine my heart. And what I found there was arrogance. I somehow deserve a baby and Brittany doesn't. That I'm somehow better than she is. And I really had to humble myself and decide, am I going to trust God's provision in my life? And so I worked at that time. I was an elementary school assistant principal. I was a children's pastor. And I got to influence and be a part of hundreds of kids' lives. And it was amazing. And I did find contentment and a peace with our plan. And through some amazing circumstances and perhaps a story for another time, God did bring us a baby. In 2009, our baby Eliana was born and we became parents but even now I look back at that journey 
And that is not how I had mapped out my journey to parenthood. Cameron and I were planners. We knew where we wanted to go and God took us on a very different route. But I found comfort in knowing this is what he had planned all along. And what I needed to learn is that what I saw as a detour was actually God's design for our lives. And I'm so grateful for that. I know some of you are sitting here today and your story doesn't work out this way. You did not get the answer to prayer that you wanted or it didn't get answered in the way that you wanted. And I wanted you to know I understand that disappointment, that heartbreak, the questioning of God and where are you? But I also want you to know that God does provide. His unfailing love will support you. He won't leave you or forsake you that you can trust him. I came across this quote from Dr. Caroline Leaf and it sums up for me. Just because things could have been different doesn't mean they would have been better and that God's plan is what's best for us. And so true humility requires me to trust my life to God's plan and to believe that it's going to be far better than anything I could plan for myself. And now the third thing I'd like us to look at in the story of Ruth about humility is that unexpected humility allows me to share the hope I have with others. When we're reading in chapter 2, verses 5 to 17, Ruth ends up going and gleaning in the fields of a man named Boaz, who just so happens to be a relative of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. And because he is related to her husband, this puts him in a position to be what the scriptures call a guardian redeemer. You might have heard it called a kinsman redeemer. This comes from the Hebrew word goel. And that means a male relative who was responsible for caring for a deceased relative's positions, possessions, including land, houses, livestock, and even the widow. Now we have to assume that Boaz would have known who Naomi was. Bethlehem was not a big town, so her, her return would have been news. So he goes to check on his fields, and Ruth's there gleaning. And so he goes and asks his workers, like, who's that? She's new. And they tell her, tell Boaz that that is Ruth. And I have to believe that in his mind, he probably knew, oh, Naomi related. So his wheels would have been turning. And when we read about Boaz, scripture tells us that he was a man of great wealth, great influence, strong character. But what I think my favorite part of who Boaz was is that he was the son of Rahab, another named woman in scripture who has an amazing story in the book of Joshua. I'd love for you to go read that. But when we read about Rahab, she is called Rahab the prostitute. How's that for humbling? In this time 
of life. Boaz is raised by a woman who has to do something humiliating to provide for her family. That would have been the mother in whose home he grew up in. But I believe that experience would have shaped Boaz to become the man of character that he is. And he didn't live in shame or embarrassment because of where he came from. He kept his heart tender and humble. And then he saw two women in need. And rather than ignoring them or running away, he decides to share hope with them. So Boaz is in his field, Ruth is out gleaning, and he walks up to her, and he says, please stay. Stay here, I'll protect you. You can glean from my fields. And he tells his workers, drop a little of extra for her to provide for her. And she has to ask him, like, why are you being so nice to me? And this is what Boaz says about Ruth. I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother, your homeland, and you came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. We see in these two people's journeys that God reroutes the circumstances of our lives to bring hope and healing. But we have to maintain a posture of humility to experience. Boaz, a man who did not let his past predict his future. He didn't live in shame because of who his mother was, but he humbly shared what he had been given with these two women in need. He was their guardian redeemer. He brought them hope. And Ruth, this ordinary woman who lived over 3,000 years ago, who was nobody. We are now reading her story because of her humility, her faith in God's provision. We get a message of hope. And so maybe you're thinking, well, that, that is a nice story. And again, the next two chapters are even better. It's so great. But really, you're thinking, who cares, right? Humility. I don't really see what the big deal is. Because honestly, if you look around, that's counter to the message we receive, right? Normally, it's you do you. Put yourself first. Take care of number one. My favorite, you deserve to be happy. But for those of us that are Christ followers, that is not the deal. We're actually to put others before ourselves, to care for the needs of others, to serve the least of these. And what I found was interesting is even in secular psychology, research is showing the benefits of living hum humbly. And those are that being humble gives your life meaning promotes positive character traits, and it helps you cope with stress. These are all things that I would like to have be true in my life, and I hope for you as well. And so now we kind of have an idea of why. The question becomes, how? How do we do that? How do we live humbly? And I have three quick suggestions that I hope will be helpful for you today. The first one is that you just need to regularly confess your sins and seek forgiveness. 
You need to admit to God your mistakes. He already knows, right? It's not kept secret from him. And so we need to confess as a benefit for ourselves. The cliche is confession is good for the soul. And that's because it is. And so we need to confess sins, but we also need to apologize. I think we would all sit here and say, we know nobody's perfect. And a lot of times we don't expect perfection from others, but maybe we do from ourselves. And then when we mess up, we are embarrassed or ashamed. And then we don't want to talk about it. We don't want to reveal it. But I believe that that shame is actually a tool of Satan our real enemy, to keep you isolated, to keep you afraid, to keep you in darkness. And what I know to be true is if we take those things out of darkness and bring them and expose them to the light, that they lose their power over us. So don't be afraid to confess and to say I'm sorry. The second thing I think that you can do is that you can find ways to serve others. So very practically, what's one thing you can do this week to help someone else? But my challenge is to find something that maybe typically you would say, well, that's, that's kind of a menial task or, you know, that's kind of beneath me. That's not in my job description. That's not on my chore list. That's not the responsibility I agreed to when we were dividing those up. But instead, to humbly serve someone near you. And then third, express your gratitude to others, to God, to family, to your friends, to your coworkers. I don't think we accomplish anything of significance on our own. And so we need each other. And you can encourage the people around you by specifically saying thank you to something they've done for you. So if it's a text, or an email, or a phone call, or a face-to-face conversation. Specifically tell someone something you appreciate about them this week. So, the bottom line, if you don't take anything else away today, I hope that this is the thing that you will take away with you. It's that unexpected humility allows me to see my detours as God's design. So when something this week reroutes, it disrupts your plans, you hit a detour. I want you to plan today. How are you going to respond? Are you gonna get angry? Are you gonna get frustrated? Are you gonna lash out? Or are you gonna start saying, I'm gonna respond from a place of humility? And that can be hard to do. So I'd like to encourage you to commit scripture to memory. Holy Spirit is so good to bring to mind the words of God when we are in need. And in this series, we are memorizing a scripture. And if you haven't done so, I hope that you'll consider memorizing this. It is found in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he'll make your paths straight. God wants you to experience a life full of joy and peace and goodness, but there is no promise that that's going to happen without the speed bumps 
and the detours and the rerouting. They are going to come. But I hope that when they do come, you'll choose to face those with a posture of humility and allow God to be glorified through your life. Would you let me pray for you? God, I just ask that as we face life, ordinary life and the rerouting that sometimes comes up that doesn't fit in with our plan A, that we would choose to respond in a way that says, I trust you. I trust the plan you've put in front of me, even when I don't see it or understand it. But I believe you want what's best for me. I pray, God, for those today that are in a season of rerouting and they're not really sure where you're directing them. I pray that you would comfort their heart with peace, that they would be filled up with the knowledge that you love them and you want so much more and so much better than they could ever want for themselves. I thank you, God, for your son, for his show of ultimate humility in a sacrifice for us on the cross. May we remain grateful and humble as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.